asked him on Sunday morning like it was your last service to give God praise. Oh, come on, is that how you would do it if you knew this was your last chance to give him glory? Woo! Oh! Hallelujah! Come on, somebody make some Holy Ghost noise on a Sunday morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Well, I, I wonder if you could just take it up a little bit from there and somebody give him the praise that he's worthy of. Come on, you've been fighting hell all week, but you made it. Well, the devil tried to take you out this week, but you made it. You're back at the house of God. And you got a praise on your heart. Come on, somebody give him the glory to his name. Come on, we're not moving from right here till somebody gets a hold of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I know it's Sunday morning, but it'll be all right. Praise him because you're still standing. Praise him because you're still here. Praise God because you still got your right mind. Praise God because you didn't die in the car wreck. Praise God because your family's still together. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Come on, sometimes you just gotta, you, you gotta confuse the devil a little bit. Cause I, I know, I look, I've been here long enough. Some of y'all come to church on Sunday morning and you expect Sunday morning church and you can tell by the way you walk in the door. Sometimes you just gotta mess the devil up a little bit. You don't think he's been watching you and knows your patterns and knows how you're going to respond on Sunday morning? You ought to just mess with him a little bit and just say, I didn't come this morning to just sit and, and, and just be a part of the church. I came on a Sunday morning to let the devil know and everybody around me know that I'm here to give God praise. Amen. Book of Jonah, chapter 1. Jonah, chapter 1. Amen. It feels a little bit better in here. Feels like Holy Ghost Church in here. Feels like somebody could get the Holy Ghost. I got two people believe what I just said. Feels like somebody could get the Holy Ghost. Woo! Say, well, I don't know what the Holy Ghost is. Good. You're a prime candidate. <laughs> I don't want nothing. I don't know what it is. Well, let me just tell you like this. It's joy unspeakable, and it's full of glory, and the half has yet to be told. And I, I'm just going to tell you, you can look around in here today, and you see the people leaping and jumping, jumping and, and clapping their hands and giving God praise. They got the Holy Ghost. That, in a crazy, mixed-up world, that's what's making them do that. Amen. I'm thankful for the Holy Ghost. Jonah chapter 1, thank you, Brother Bradford, so much for allowing me to be here this morning. I love you, I appreciate you, and I love this church, and I'm thankful for what God is doing here and going to continue to do, and I know I've said it a lot, but I'm going to say it again because I believe it, the best is yet to come. 
Amen. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Rise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. You can see in the next verse that God's plan begins to unfold. As the Bible says that the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. And there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. The Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. I want to preach to you today a very simple thought with your help and the help of the Lord. Are you going to help me preach today? I'm going to preach with your help and the help of the Lord. God is in control. How many believe that? God is in control. Would you lift your hands with me right now and let's pray together. God, we love you. We praise you. Give you glory. Give you thanks. There's nobody like you, Jesus. You're so good. Oh, come on. Don't let me pray by myself. Help me pray, church. God, we believe in you, Lord. We're standing on your word today because your word doesn't lie and your word doesn't fail. I'm asking you, God, right now, have your way. Let your presence, let your power, let your spirit come into this house. Let it change us and challenge us and make us more like you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Would you clap your hands unto the Lord one more time? Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated in the fear of the Lord. If you have not heard the story of Jonah, don't feel bad. It just simply means you didn't go to Sunday school. Because you can't go to Sunday school and not hear about Jonah. Jonah was indeed called by God. He was a prophet. He was a man of God. And we find him in his writings as an older man looking back over his life, recounting the story with much more clarity than I'm sure here as he is writing than when he was in the middle of the mess. He is called by God to go to Nineveh. He is told to preach to them, to repent. But there is a small piece of information that I want you to really grab onto because it's gonna it's gonna help us tie everything together this morning, and that is is that the Ninevites are actually being controlled. The, the city of Nineveh is the place that the Assyrians have their hub at this point in time in biblical history. As a matter of fact, the king of Assyria is living in Nineveh during this period of time. The Assyrians were wicked people. We understand that wickedness was the purpose of what God was upset about of why that God wanted to destroy them and wanted them to repent. But you don't have to dig very far into their wickedness to find out what was at the heart of their evil. Look at someone and tell them idolatry. Ooh, that's a big word, ain't it? 
I am personally of the belief that every sin under the sun stems in some form or fashion from idolatry. I just, it's a personal belief and you don't have to agree with me, but you can walk down through history and um, biblical history and see, we, we kind of talked about this a couple weeks ago and it's just uh, one point, where, where are we at? Brother Brock, you're supposed to be keeping up with this. 1.75, 2 point something. Okay, we two point something this morning. We, we've in about 17 different series and I ain't going to get to finish them all. <laughs> but but it, it's, it's true. It's, it's, idolatry is the issue. When Lucifer was kicked out of heaven, he said, I will ascend and be as the Lord. I believe personally that when Eve began to fall and fail and take the bait that the serpent gave to her, it was at the moment that the serpent said to her, if you eat this fruit, You'll be like a God. Idolatry. Go from there, and we see, and I, I don't have time to preach it all the way through the Bible, but you can you can see that Nimrod begins to pull the people together, and then you can go from there and find the children of Israel after 400 years in slavery. The first thing they do when the preacher turns their back is set up a golden calf. Idolatry. We go from there to the uh, to the promised land and God tells them as they're entering in 40 years later he says don't let your daughters marry their sons and why because they worship idols and when they had finally made it into the promised land you can find that Israel so so sadly begins to turn back into that same cycle that humanity falls into it's all centered around idolatry they worship the gods of the day, the gods of the night, the gods of the harvest, the gods of the rain, the gods of the sun, the gods of the moon. They, they, as a matter of fact, the worship of the Trinity was not the worship of the Father, Son, and Spirit, but in its origins it was the worship of the sun, the moon, and the stars. All centered around idolatry. Ahab, known as the worst king that Israel has ever had. Why? Because he made Israel go whoring after false gods. Don't stop there. 2,000 years later in the day of Paul, they had temples to Aphrodite. They had temples to Pergamos. They had, they had temples to so many different gods that Diana's one. They, they, they had so many gods that they just built a temple and slapped an inscription on the front and said, To all the unknown gods. They worshiped so many gods they didn't know his, all their names. Now, I'm, this ain't what I'm preaching, but just let me stop here and say, I'm glad to know who I'm worshiping today. I, I don't have to call to this God to cut for this and call to that God for that, but I can just say Jesus and at the mention of his name, he's there. Hallelujah. You'll find it in your Bible, and, and, and let's just go a little further before we get there. Let, let, let's, let's go a little further. 2,000 years later, here we are. And if we have ever lived in an idolatrous generation, we are walking, talking, and breathing in an idolatrous generation. I'm not trying to be political, but it's a crying shame that we have ballplayers that make three times the amount, a hundred times the amount of what a man that will lay down his life for his country makes. I'm telling you why that's the way it is, because of idolatry. 
People are more worried about their idols than they are actual heroes. And, and again, I'm not trying to be political, but it's the truth anyhow. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. And so you can find it in your word, in your Bible, every, every minor or major prophet that there was. There was some point in that message that God was preaching either to his people or to a people that they must repent of their idolatry. God does the only thing that he can do besides wipe them off the face of the earth of which he promised he would not do again to the end of time. And that's is he sent them a preacher. There is idolatry in the camp and God sends a preacher to preach that you must turn away from your idolatry and you must turn your face towards the Lord. And it is here in Jonah, I said all of that to say this, it is here in Jonah that God is sending him to preach to the Ninevites, to the Assyrians, that they must repent. Why? Because not only are they trying to, not only are they worshiping false gods, but they are trying to cause God's people to worship false gods. And so God speaks to Jonah, and you know the story. Jonah says, I know better than God. I'm going the opposite direction. And so we we read the story of Jonah and we tell the Sunday school story of how Jonah was rebellious and how he knew better than God and how, how we don't need to be like Jonah and Jonah has all the things going for him but yet he makes the mistakes that, that so many of us make when we go the opposite direction of where God is calling us to but nobody ever says why. We know that he does, but the Bible doesn't tell us you have to study a little bit to figure out why. And, 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 and it's a little easier to see Jonah's point. I ain't preaching yet. Y'all, don't start my clock yet. I ain't preaching. You see some of y'all already looking at your clock. Don't, my, my clock don't, y'all know the drill. My clock don't start till I start hollering. This is my introduction. When we, when we read about Jonah, we just see that he runs, Brother Brown. We don't see why. And when you start digging a little bit into history and you, you, you find that they have excavated the city of Nineveh and that the eastern side, there was literally skulls of the prophets of Israel built into the wall. It's a little easier to see why he ran the other way. That puts a whole different spin on it. It's like saying today, we're going on outreach. Woo! Everybody's excited. But here's the catch. When you hand out a church card, somebody's going to pull out a 1911 45 and shoot you right between the eyes. Who's going on outreach? Anybody. Somebody. You know good and well you ain't going. Because everybody wants to go to heaven, but... Nobody wants to go now. It's a little easier to see Jonah's perspective when you understand that every prophet that's walked into Nineveh and said, repent, they chopped off his head. Jonah indeed is a man of God. 
Jonah is a man that God's called him. God's put his hand on him. God's anointed him. But yet he decides to go the other direction because there are circumstances in his life and there are facts that he knows that if I obey God, this will be the outcome. Now tell me who wouldn't have ran. Tell me who wouldn't have went the other direction. But can I tell you that God knew Jonah's weaknesses and God knew Jonah's fears and that's why God chose him. Let me just park right here for a second and tell you, you think you've got it all figured out and that God don't want you and God can use you because of your failures, because of your fears, and because of your mistakes. But friend, you are so wrong because that's the exact reason why God God chose you, why God picked you, why God had it in his plan to use your brokenness and your fears and your failure. And so God lets Jonah run because God is in control even while Jonah is running. And the Bible says that while Jonah is on his way away from Nineveh, that the Lord prepared a storm. And this is the part we don't like to preach about because nobody likes storms and we really don't like them when God causes them. Nobody likes to go through a trial and we really don't like them when God is the author of the trial. But can I tell you that God is in control even in the middle of your storm. The storm might have brought confusion to Jonah and the storm might have brought confusion to you. But the storm has not confused God because even in the middle of your storm, God is not in a storm because God is always in control in spite of of what you're going through. I've come to tell somebody on a Sunday morning, fear not, neither be dismayed. Why, preacher? Because God is in control and you might be in the storm of your life and confused about which direction you're going, but you got a God that is in control. You got a God that knows the end from the beginning. You got a God that's walking with you from the very beginning of time time. He knew you before you were even formed in your mother's womb and you think this storm caught God by surprise? Friend, I've come to tell you the storm doesn't have God by surprise, but God has the storm in his hand. Even while you're confused, God is in control. Even while you're in chaos, God is in control. And then the Bible, I don't have time to preach this whole story, but, but just humor me for a moment. The Bible says that the storm is the very thing that gets Jonah out of the boat because as long as you're trying to float your own boat, because there, there's this thing about God that's, that, that's so in control. He's so in control that he's in control of himself. And he decides, I'm not going to force anybody to do anything. But I will guide you. And I promise you, you would rather listen to the voice of God than have to deal with the guidance of God. It's a whole lot easier to go to Nineveh when God says go to Nineveh than God have to guide you to Nineveh. Because guidance always comes through storms. And storms will cause you to have to get out of what you know is safe. 
what you know about life that is solid. This floats. This is going to take me from here to there. But God will put you in a storm that's so strong that you'll have to get out of that. And you'll have to understand that I've got to walk with him and lean not unto my own understanding. I'm preaching to somebody right now that's in the storm of their life and you're trying to figure out why in the world am I going through what I'm going through. It's because you're still driving your own boat and you ain't got out of the, out of the boat and tried to walk on the water yet. It's because you're still trying to decide your own direction and God has an expected end for you and he's going to do whatever he can to guide you there. The Bible says that after Jonah gets out of the boat, he's still confused, but it gets worse. Then he's consumed. Because the Bible says not only did the Lord prepare the wind, but the Lord prepared, and we're going to come back to that word here in a little bit, hopefully. But the Lord prepared a great fish. God prepared the storm, and God prepared the fish. He's been confused. Now he's consumed. Everybody know what I'm talking about on Sunday morning? Life has me confused, and now I'm consumed by its problems. Everywhere I turn, there's an issue. But can I tell you what the confusion and the consumption brought to Jonah? This, this, is, this is so good to me. I, God gave me this. I didn't read this in a book. God, this was Revelation. The Bible says while he's confused and he's consumed that he turns his face towards Jerusalem. Now, I want to know how in the cornbread world can a man in the belly of a whale, in the bottom of an ocean, know where Jerusalem is? It's in your Bible. It says he turned his face towards Jerusalem. He's been confused by the storm. They didn't even know which direction they were going. He's been consumed by the fish. And Brother Brock, the only thing I can figure is that it caused conviction. And conviction will always cause you to orient, orientate yourself towards the Lord. It will always cause you to look towards Jerusalem. I, I'm, I'm in the storm and I'm consumed by everything that's going on, but I know where I'm supposed to be. And so I can be in the belly of a fish in the bottom of an ocean, but there's something in my spirit drawing me towards the house of God. That's why you're here on Sunday morning. You didn't just walk in a you didn't just come to church because you knew it was what you were supposed to do. You didn't just come to church because somebody invited you. You're at the house of the Lord because even in the belly of the fish that you're having to live in right now, you can feel the Lord drawing you. You can feel the Lord pulling on you. You, you talk to some of these backsliders that have prayed back through and now they're walking with God and they're talking with God and they'll tell you they might have been in a bar room. They might have been out of their mind high on a drug but they knew where they were supposed to be and even in the middle of the storm and even in the middle of being consumed by their issue there's a drawing you better thank God for conviction you better thank God that you can look towards Jerusalem Conviction will make you get up on Sunday morning after you didn't sleep all night 
because of all the stuff that's going on. And you might be mad, but you'll put your Sunday duds on. Get in your car. Drive past your favorite coffee shop just to get to church because you're aligning yourself with Jerusalem. How did he know? I'll tell you how he knew. It wasn't an outward knowledge. It was an inward knowledge. I said, I got to get right with God. Because now God's guiding him. Ooh, I feel the Holy Ghost. I wish I had time to unbox all this. Now God's guiding him. Now God's got his hand not on his head but on his heart. And now God's, God's taking him to the place to where he is willing to do anything that he has to do to get right with God. And the Bible tells us that this, this well, this, it, or this fish, it brings him to the seashore, spits him up. And I, I know y'all seen the same Sunday school books I've seen. He's got seaweed wrapped around his neck. I don't know if that's what it looked like, but that's what Sunday school told us it looked like. Don't act like you didn't see Jonah like that. Y'all seen the same little book I've seen that he's running and the seaweed's flapping in his wind. That was your coloring page. I told y'all, I remember all this. I've been, I was healed back a long time. I was 18 when they let me out of the primary class. <laughs> He comes crawling out. And this is where the story gets really interesting. Why? Because of idolatry. Now, you just have to trust me on this, and if you don't trust me, go home and find out I'm right. Study it. But the Assyrians at this point in time are, are probably one of the most genius military groups of this hour simply because when they set up a, a hub, and every five degrees, they would send man out. And this is eventually what would come to the Greeks as the Olympics. And it, it, they, they would have uh, contests to see who the fastest in the kingdom was. And every five degrees, they would put these men out that were the fastest runners. And the purpose of this is when somebody started coming towards the city, they would run back and there was nobody that was allowed into the Ninevite king's palace but this man. He could come in. He could burst through the door without knocking. Everybody else had to go through the process of, of talking to the right people and knocking on the door and coming into the palace. But not this guy. He could bust in at any time. And I, I, if you'll just allow me to paint the picture for you, I can see this guy huffing and puffing. He's been running all day because he sees Jonah's on the way. And he busts through the door and he tells the king, there's another prophet coming. Well, what are you doing? What, what's the big deal? Sharpen my sword. We're going to cut his head off too. You know what? I did see a hole over there on that side of the city. We could plug that hole with his head. I don't know. Maybe they started thinking about how they were going to torture Jonah. And that little boy, breathing hard, looks at the king and says, uh-uh, this guy got spit up by a fish. Looks a little different now. Huh? A fish? 
Why does this change everything? It changes it because of idolatry. It links us to 1 Samuel chapter 5 where the Bible says that the people of Ashdod bring the ark of God. In, uh, it, they have stolen it from the Israelites and they bring it into the temple and their God is laid over on his face and so they stand him back up and they dust him off and then the next day they come back in because God is in control and he says, I'm not going to let any other I'm not going to let any other God be above me and the next day they come in and this God's head and his hands are chopped off and they're laying, they're, they're, they're laying at the threshold of the door and his body is laid back over. Say, what is that connection? The connection is that God is a God in their mythology in what they believe by the name of Dagon. And Dagon was half fish and half man. Just so happens that these people are the same people. They worship the same God. And if you went into the temple of the Ninevites, you would find that there is a there is an idol of, of, of Dagon. He is half fish and he's half man. How does that change anything? It changes it because God knew Jonah was going to run. God put Jonah in the belly of a whale because he knew that the only way that those people are going to listen is if somebody crawls out of the belly of their God and says, I got a word. And I've come to preach to somebody on a Sunday morning that crawled out of the belly of the bar rooms and you crawled out of the belly of the drug scenes and you crawled out of the belly of dysfunctional family and you're wondering why did I have to go through what I went through? I'm preaching to you right now because there's a Ninevite out there that needs to know I came out of the belly of the God that you worship and I know that there is a God that is greater than the God you worship. Why did I have to go through it? Because one day, whoo, for the Holy Ghost, one day you were going to be walking down the road and you were going to lock eyes with somebody that came from the same dysfunction you came from and they're worshiping the same God you worshiped and, and, and they don't see any way out. They're an alcoholic the same way you were an alcoholic. They're a drug addict the same way you were a drug addict. They're a womanizer the same way you were a womanizer and you're looking at them in the eye. There's going to be that day, Brother Jonah, where you're going to be able to stand and preach. I know this is the God you worship. I know you live for this and everything you do revolves around this but there is a higher power. There is a God that brought me out of the belly of the God you worship. How did you think about this? Jonah, the least likely to succeed. Musicians, y'all come help me. I'm not going to preach very long. I'm preaching now for those of you that are wondering. Jonah's the least likely to succeed. When we look at him, again, this is a Sunday school story. When we look at him in Sunday school, we preach about his failures. And we talk about how, you know, don't, you know, God can get the glory, but don't be like Jonah. And little do we know. There's Jonah sitting all over this place tonight. The least likely to succeed. I don't know if when he left telling people what God had told him to do and they seen him go in the opposite direction, but maybe they started talking about him around town. Maybe, maybe when they met for church on Sunday, y'all heard about Jonah, pray his strength in the Lord. 
Jonah's not listening to God. Listen to me. I want you to get this. The greatest revival recorded in your Bible, with the exception of the day of Pentecost and the continuation of that, is in Jonah. The least likely to succeed, the guy that goes the other way, the one that's made the most mistakes out of every Old Testament prophet, and he has the greatest revival out of all of them put together. You tell me God don't know how to get greatness out of the gutters. Tell me, tell me God don't know how to fix what you've been through and get some kind of glory out of it. I know you're looking yourself in the mirror and saying, how can God get glory out of this? Baby, just watch him work. Just watch him be God. Just watch him be in control. Just watch him sit on the throne. Listen, I'm not telling you to glory in what you used to do. I'm telling you to glory in the deliverance that you got because I'm talking to some people right now that are under the sound of my voice and you've been walking around trying to hide everything you've been through. You got scars on your arms from needle tracks. You've got scars on your body from drunk driving. You, you've got dysfunctional family that you're connected to because of who you used to be. And you're trying to hide it. Jonah, don't you dare hide what God's done for you. We're not here to glory in that. We're here to talk about a God that's in control. I'm, I'm not here propping up your sin. I'm here shouting about the fact that there's a God that's bigger than your sin. I'm not here to put... Let me tell you something, friend. You got a story to tell, and that story is that my God reached way down into the belly of a fish, and he drew me out. He pulled me out of the miry clay. He set my feet on a rock to stay. He gave me a song that the angel, with somebody with a testimony that I've been in the fish, but I've been brought out would stand up and shout like you've been brought out of the belly of the whale. Like you've been... Somebody that came from a dysfunctional family ought to let somebody else know that there's a God that can pull you out of that fish. Somebody that came out of the bar room ought to let somebody else know there is a God... Listen, I'm done. I'm done. Jonah, chapter 1, verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared. Everyone say prepared. Prepared a great fish. This word prepared is, it's the same word. It's got the same origin as the word manna. And the Bible says, when they come, they were in the wilderness and they walked out and they saw the manna laying on the ground. They saw the bread, this coriander seed, white. And they looked at it and they said, for it is manna. And in parentheses, the Bible says, for they wist not what it was. 
So literally this word prepared coming from the same roots, the word manna is literally them saying, God, what is this? And some of you are dealing with big fish. And all you know how to do is step back and say, God, what is what in the world is going on? I don't understand this. This don't make any sense to me. And God is guiding you. I don't know what I'm going through what I'm going through God is guiding you I don't know why I'm having to go through this test I'll tell you why somewhere somewhere someday there's going to be somebody that's walking through what you're walking through I, I, I don't get it I, maybe you're lady here today and you're in your mid-30s, early 40s, and you're still dealing with dysfunction because someone touched you inappropriately. You were seven or eight years old. You're dealing with all the chaos in your mind. If God, what is this? God was really in control. Wasn't he? Wasn't he deliver? Wasn't he brought me out of that? What you don't know there's a Ninevite girl living somewhere in Bakersfield. Right now she's seven or eight. And the only hope she's got caught up of the Holy Ghost. The only hope she's got is that saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost sister that's having to deal with dysfunction because of where she's come from. Consent. I don't know how y'all do outreach, but maybe I just assume y'all do it like we do it in the South. Maybe you're passing out bubble gum, showing up at the kids' park, trying to get another bus route started, and you see the look in her eyes. You know. Because you came out of that fish. It's, it's, it's the only world she knows. Maybe it's that little 10-year-old boy that's standing on the street corner and he's Lying about where his mom and daddy are. Oh, they're in the car waiting on me. He's up to no good. Little ruffian. But you know, because you stood on that same street corner and you lied about your mom and daddy knowing where you were. Because you know they were both drunk and high out of their mind. And they really didn't care about you. The only hope that little boy's got is if Jonah, with all his scars, with all his dysfunction, with the title of least likely to succeed, begins to preach. I don't know how you're going to preach your sermon. You may never step behind this pulpit, but you better believe me when I tell you you're preaching.
what he needs is Jonah. Roll back the active. I've got it all together. Telling you, there's a calling in this house today. I, I, Brother Bradford, I just feel like there, somebody's getting the call that Jonah got. You got to go. I know they're wicked, and I know they're perverse, and I know all this, but the great, what was it? 120? How, how many was it, Brother Bradford? It slips around. 127,000? Is that what it was? 127,000 people? Sound right? It's close. It's something like that. 127,000 people. Over 100. Put it that way. There's over 100,000 that live in Bakersfield. So, well, preacher, you're getting into some weird stuff right there. I don't, I don't know how we can touch 100,000. Jonah did. All it took was one story. Y'all got to hear here recently, Pastor Jerry Riley. I'm done. I told you I was done. I lied a while ago. Now I'm done. Story about how God was moving there in that church. Laurel, Mississippi, and I told you briefly, but I'll tell you, 160 people from one that's coming out of dysfunction. And you know the kind of people he reached? People, and, and he, he's a very dear friend to me. He's like a brother to me. And I, so I, I wouldn't embarrass him, but if he heard me preach this, he'd, he'd be shouting and running the aisles on the other side. He asked me to preach this. His wife, himself, their marriage was falling apart. He had stepped outside of their marriage, and the other woman that he had had an affair with was expecting his child. And I'm going to tell you what God can do. Every Sunday morning, his wife's holding that baby. Tell me the Holy Ghost won't help you. She's taking him to Sunday school. His wife. Not the baby's mama. His wife. And you know what he's doing? He's finding these rough rednecks. I don't, I don't think y'all know really how, how good the Holy Ghost is. Because if I didn't have the Holy Ghost, I'd be one of them guys. He's finding these guys that they work offshore and they come in for their seven days and their whole seven days they may see their wife and kids two days out of it because they're staying in the bar rooms and they're drugs, alcohol, and running around with women that are not their, their wife. And he's telling them, I used to be like you. But God's in control. And God knows how to bring you to an altar. And there's somebody here today, again, I'm, I'm, I'm reaching for you. You've been struggling with your past. And you've been trying to figure out how to make it go away. Can I tell you that God will help you to learn how to live with it and deal with it and get glory out of it? God, I don't know how he does it. It's been a reoccurring conversation between Pastor Bradford and I, but I'll, I'll say this again. I am, I'm still amazed at what God does when he opens blinded eyes and unstops deaf ears, but what amazes me more than anything is God's ability to take dysfunctional people and make them function. 
Can I tell you today, if you're dealing with dysfunction, don't you listen to the lie of the devil. You are not lost. You are not one in the church that's the black sheep of the family that nobody cares about. You're not the one that we're going to leave on the backside of nowhere. You're not the one that nobody cares about. Guess what? You're a whole lot more like all of us than you even know. It's just some of us have learned how to let God use what we've been through a little bit better than others. And so I'm not here to condemn you and tell you you're not a part of the church. I'm here to tell you you can find a way to be fine in your dysfunctional world and let God get the glory out of what you've been through. Let's lift our hands and pray. Come on. If you're who I'm talking to right now, you ought to get up here as close to this front as you can and throw your hands in the air and say, Lord, use me. Use what I've been through. Use my dysfunction. Use my past addiction. Use my faults. Use my failures. Use what I've been through for your glory. Come on, he's in control. He's gonna get glory out of it somehow. He's going to get glory out of it somehow. Woo! Why don't you lift your voice? Here, God, here I am. Here I am. Here I am. Here I am. I might be a modern-day Jonah, but I've got a message to preach to somebody that's living in Nineveh. I will be what you call me to be. I say Come on, come on, come on. Why don't you press in? Why don't you press in? Come on, that drug addiction's nothing for God. That alcohol addiction's nothing for God. Come on, young man. I just feel like saying this right now. The Holy Ghost to a young man. That pornography addiction's nothing for God. Come on, lay it on the altar. Whatever you've been dealing with and you're addicted to, some way, somehow, not going to make the sin right. Get over the sin. Repent for the sin. Move on. But God's going to get the glory out of it. You've got a testimony of a deliverer. You've got a testimony of a God that can bring you out. Come on, that's it. That's it. Let's lift our voice all over this house. Come on, lift your voice.
strengthen us, God. Make us what you want us to be. Come on, I'll say yes, I'll say yes. Come on, the Holy Ghost is here right now. The Holy Ghost is working. Let it work in you. Come on, let it work in you. Come on, you ought to pray to the Holy Ghost just shakes loose everything that's been holding them back. Come on, pray to the Holy Ghost is shaking loose all of the fear. Come on, all of the fear. All of the doubt. 